I didn't know how to be a mom. I didn't know how to be a woman. I didn't know how to be a lot of things. I just knew how to survive, you know, and my life was just about surviving and trying to balance this anger and all this emotion and these dysfunctional relationships that I kept finding myself in. And, you know, there were multiple suicide attempts. There was just so much chaos. But at the same time, it was like I was always trying to find a job, always trying to gain stability. So everything was like up and down, up and down. And no matter how far up I'd go, it would go back down again. Welcome, everyone, uh, to Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives. I am your host, Adlenis, and just very grateful to be back on this week. We were live on Thursday, and we're back here with Hope. Hi, Hope. Hi. <laughs> uh, thank you for uh, taking this time to come into this a live video in the podcast and just to share your testimony today yeah thank you for having me thank you for having me very thankful for um you know for this opportunity that we can uh, come into your homes ordinary people with extraordinary lives it's just a series dedicated to believers and followers of jesus christ um sharing their testimony and just uh hoping that you will be encouraged by, through their testimony and if you don't know the lord jesus christ i would hope that The life transformation experience of these people will be an encouragement to you to just question your own salvation, your own life. If I die today, where would I, where would I go? Hell or heaven? Those are the only two places. We know that for those who are in Christ, uh, we are promised to be with Him forever. And before we uh, begin with hope, I would like to ask her to read one of her favorite Bible verses. Yes. And it's from Psalm 68, right? Yes, Psalm, Psalm 68, 68:46. Yeah. <clears throat> sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Amen. Father of the fatherless. Well, that's the, the name of this episode today. I'm pretty sure that this is very special to you is it, what is the reason behind uh, this passage and why I picked it yeah yeah I, I didn't grow up with my biological father mm. so that was a very big part of you know and, and we know how important it is for you know a father in a household and to have that authority figure in our lives and that was something that I was missing as far as that kind of stability how was the that environment for you growing up with your family I was I was born in the Philippines my mother was Um, you know, mistress of my, my biological father. So we, I didn't know who he was. I know I met him a few times when I was a child, but, you know, it eventually my mom brought us to America, well, brought me to America uh, with her and other family members when I was about three. I had, you know, I had an older brother and sister, and eventually, you know, my mom remarried, and I have a stepfather, and I have a younger brother and sister. But, you know, my stepfather did what he could to fill in that, you know, missing piece, But even as I was growing up, I remember him having talks with me and, and telling me, you know, the reason why I'm acting out or I'm doing these things is because I'm looking for my dad. Mm. So that was always a very big part of an empty space for me. And, you know, having half brothers and sisters and it, it just felt there was always this feeling of not really belonging. You know, we know that, you know, as sinners, we, our sin like manifests in different ways. And, and, you know, the enemy loves to cause confusion and, and, you know, make us focus on these things. So that was a really big part of why I chose to rebel. 
so growing up in that kind of a mindset, you know, the first time I started drinking, I remember thinking, I think it was about 13 or 12 years old. I had my friends go and, and get me a bottle of alcohol. And I remember sitting on the top of a hill in, in Northridge and drinking by myself and just talking to my dad. Because by that time, he had actually passed away. He never was able to come see me. I did get some letters here and there. There was, you know, there was just this sense of, like, life is not fair. Like, how come I don't get to, you know, have my dad? I remember sitting on the top of that hill and just, you know, crawling down. And even my friends were like, what's wrong with this girl? You're so emotional. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so that really was, like, the beginning of, like, this whole, you know, drinking and partying and not wanting to come home, running away from home. There was always something that I was like angry about and just trying to run away from. And I didn't really know what it was. I know that my mom did the best with what, you know, she could. I mean, she was trying to raise my younger brother and sister and she had, you know, my stepdad in a household that she was trying to, you know, keep together too. And here I was just, I always felt like I was a problem. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I was 10 years old, I think, or nine years old, I ended up, I got in trouble for like stealing at a, at, at a store. We used to live in Hollywood. And so my, my parents, you know, thought well, maybe it was best to bring me to the Valley because back then the Valley was like a really nice place to like grow up in apparently. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, they thought change of location, this might be good, you know, but it's really, it, it, it was really strange. My mom wasn't a Christian then. I mean, she, we, we have a family of believers, but I don't think my mom didn't actually get saved until the nineties. So before that, it was just, you know, I mean, I, I think she used to watch stuff on TV like televangelists and, and stuff. But as far as her really, you know, being a born again Christian, that didn't come till, till later. There was always trouble at home. My life escalated from the alcohol to, to the drugs, to, you know, the promiscuity, to, to all kinds of stuff, gangs. And I ended up meeting someone at, at, you know, I was 14 years old. I met my first husband who was 23. You know, back then in the middle of it, you're not really thinking about how inappropriate that is. But nowadays, you know, we have all this talk about like, you know, pedophilia and all this stuff. And now I'm thinking back like, wow, I didn't realize how abnormal that was mm -hmm. because my life was just nuts. And I met him and, and I think my mom at that point was just so tired of not being able to control me or having, you know, any way to have peace in her own home that, you know, I ended up getting pregnant and, and marrying this man. It was the only, I mean, it just seemed like the only solution at the time because I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. At that point, I mean, that pregnancy really saved my life. My older daughter was, you know, she's a huge blessing because there were so many th times in my life where it's like the Lord had to step in and intervene, even though getting pregnant at 15 wasn't the right thing. It was, it was still a blessing in its own way because I was, you know, hanging around with grown men who were doing a lot of illegal things and, uh, you know, partying in hotel rooms with people smoking crack while I'm doing my homework. Like it was just such an abnormal environment to, to be in at that age. But, you know, I, it was, you know, I loved going to school. I was always a really smart kid. I was always, you know, very ambitious when it came to, you know, school. My mom really encouraged that so much. And I'm grateful for that because if I didn't have that to kind of balance me out, I think I would have not really been motivated because, it was like I was juggling school and like a crazy life and school and like selling drugs and school and like hanging out with criminals. You know, like it was just yeah, yeah. wild. My mom eventually got saved and I remember her trying to take me to church. By that time, it was like I'd already been through therapists. I've already been on psych meds. I've already been told that I'm bipolar. I've been told all kinds of things. Yeah. It was my mom comes from a Pentecostal background. So it was like when I'd go to those churches, it was like 
it, it was scary. You know what I mean? Like you come in and things are, <laughs> I mean, but God bless her heart. Like she really tried, you know, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it wasn't, it was like, oh, this is really strange. So yeah, that, that wasn't my thing. And I just, I kept going and kept going until I ended up, you know, getting into like legal trouble and going to jail. And, and it was like, every time something happened, it was like, I wouldn't get in trouble a little bit. I'd get in trouble a lot. Like I didn't get in trouble often, but when I did, it was big trouble. When I was, yeah, so by the time I was, you know, 19, I had my first legal problem, ended up going to jail for selling drugs. And, and then I got pregnant during my court hearing. So my, my second daughter, my older daughter was, you know, being raised by my grand, her grandparents. It was just really tough. Like, I didn't know how to be a mom. I didn't know how to be a woman. I didn't know how to be a lot of things. I just knew how to survive, you know, and my life was just about surviving, trying to balance this anger and all this emotion and these dysfunctional relationships that I kept finding myself in. And, you know, there were multiple suicide attempts. There was just so much chaos. But at the same time, it was like, I was always trying to find a job, always trying to gain stability. So everything was like up and down, up and down. And no matter how far up I'd go, it would go back down again. And that was pretty much, you know, that carried on throughout my 20s. The funny thing is like the father of the fatherless, you know, it's, it's really strange how you could lack a father figure, but if, when you have that, you really look up to it. The times that I had been in trouble with, you know, the lie end up on probation. And when I'd end up with a probation officer who would look over me, I noticed that I was really, I wanted to please that person. You know, I wanted to be the model probationee. I wanted to be liked and approved of. So whenever I'd have that, the system watching over me, I do really well. And then by the time I'd get off of it, you know, they put me on my therapy, they put me on counseling sessions and I, and, you know, I'd be like the model example. And then when I'd start to struggle, usually after an extended period of time, like the desire for the addiction would come back and then I'd end up back on drugs. And it was just a cycle that repeated, you know, every three or four years of my life up until my 30s. It was definitely a lot of chaos. So it's hard to really paint a picture of like growing up because I don't think I ever really grew up or was raised. You know, when I was in that relationship with my first husband, he was very violent to the drugs. I mean, it was like, this is someone who would beat me for no reason. This is someone who I would wake up to like guns to my head in the middle of the night, not knowing if I was going to wake up the next day because of his paranoia and his schizophrenia. So there was a lot of things that were just very uncommon that I went through. But unfortunately, no, I think that there's a lot of women living in that hell right now and who don't have help, who don't really have people who who have been there and walked through it and survived it. Um, a lot of people don't survive domestic violence to that degree. And I thank God that's what I was saying. I, I could have died in my sin over and over and over again through so many different situations, whether it was all the suicide attempts, whether it was the violence of these relationships or whether it was just my own foolishness, uh, drug overdoses. It wasn't until like it really escalated to the point where it got super out of control. I really thrived in being able to be independent. I thought, you know, because I was so strong, I'd always pick myself up and, you know, I'd go through whatever recovery period, get a good job, become successful for a short amount of time and start climbing my career ladder. And being independent that, you know, I didn't need anybody. And you, you kind of thrive off of that mentality that feminism has right now. That's like, oh, I don't need anybody. Nobody cares about me. You know, I'm a strong yeah. woman. All that gibberish that, that <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's good to be a strong woman. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it fuels so much hatred and anger and bitterness that you don't realize around the time that the Lord really started to draw me in. It just started to get super crazy. 
And like I was telling you earlier, like I wanted to, you know, have a disclaimer that like, I know that, you know, our experiences don't dictate the gospel. I know that the word is the word of God and the gospel is the gospel. And we don't lean on our own personal experiences, but there's really no way for me to share my testimony without talking about those experiences as unorthodox as they can be. I had gotten to a point where I was, I was clean for like five years, had finally got off of, you know, my last probation term. I had gotten and, you know, done some federal time for, for something and, you know, hanging around people on drugs and you just get into all kinds of trouble. That led to a point where I was, I got a lot of clean time in and I finally got a good job and I was back on my career track and I was really getting involved in Wicca and metaphysics. I have a, you know, a friend that I grew up with. She was really into that, like witchcraft and all of this stuff. I think a lot of times when you are scared and you don't have control and you don't know God and you want to have control, you you tend to lean towards that as like a form of self-empowerment. And it's really just deception. I was just listening to one of Pastor John's old, old sermons lately about how when we idolize these, you know, these things or these false gods, you open up a door to like demonic possession. I mean, you just all kinds of stuff. So I really tried to dabbling in the cult and with that combination of seeking enlightenment and self-empowerment, it brought a lot of weird things into my day-to-day life. I was having a lot of anxiety. I was having a lot of nightmares. I was having a lot of supernatural experiences that it's hard to talk about without sounding crazy, but, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, it's, but I know that it's all part of like what led to where I ended up. The deception of praying to gods or worshiping idols in order for you to, to have what you want. It's I now looking back and knowing scripture and what God says about it, I'm just baffled that I could even have gone there. You know what I mean? Or even thought that that could be something that would be good. It's so true that when you're blinded by the God of this world and you're blinded in your sin and you really don't have a clue what you're doing, that you can so easily mistake in good for bad and bad for good. I really thought that a white witch, I don't hurt anybody, then everything's fine. I'm, you know, I have the freedom to, to do what I want to do. Going into 2013 was really strange. I had a really, really bad anxiety. And I remember staying at my friend's house because I was like, I can't sleep at night. I'm waking up to dreams like, like I'm outside of my body. I'm dreaming that I'm, I'm somewhere else and I'm waking up and I'm here. Like there were just really strange things that didn't make sense. I was drinking, but I wasn't on drugs. I, I know that I was, I was drinking more than I should have been, but I don't think it was because of that. I definitely think that there was something else happening. Mm-hmm. And I remember one night having this dream and I seeing this face and it was floating and it was very strange. And it was like, if you try to get rid of us, we're going to come back and poison your blood. And I remember thinking like, what the heck is going on? Mm-hmm. So I talked to my friend and she was like, you know, you need to go talk to the spiritual cleanser. She's, you know, she's really great. Like people have talked about her. And we know what happened in the book of Saul when Saul consulted a medium and, mm-hmm. you know, it all went really bad for him. Well, <laughs> You know, now looking back in hindsight, I'm like, oh, that's that's where that was wrong. I, so I started to consult like people who supposedly could intervene and cleanse you spiritually. And they were telling me all this stuff. And, and the thing about demons, apparently, you know, they do have an understanding of they have knowledge and they, you know, they 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 do have knowledge. And that's how they deceive people is because they they make you feel like they know something. 
And even if it's someone who's like a medium or something, they can know a little bit of something, but it's, it's never the whole truth. And the, the goal is to lead you away from the Lord. So I was going further and further down this path of just insanity that I didn't realize. And all this other stuff was like manifesting in my life. I went to this cleanser and she, you know, paid her the money and, you know, we spoke, we didn't even spoke in person, but eventually I thought, okay, I have peace. Like I'm good. These things are gone. I'm able to sleep. And within months, it was like, I lost my job, had this great new job. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I remember reaching out to like a bunch of people on Facebook, family members and stuff. And I was like, look, like I know my old self. I just lost my job. I just moved into this new place. I don't want to go back to living the life that I lived. And I remember how humbling it was that only like two or three people responded. And then the reality of, wow, I really don't have anybody in my life hit me so hard. And I remember, and this was early 2014. Here I am, I was, you know, had been so proud of all these accomplishments. I had, you know, uh, been off paper. I was like, I've been clean for a long time. And I, I didn't realize, I realized I'm just how alone I was and how nobody really was there for me. And so I had one of those moments that they would say, like, drug addicts will call the ethics, where you just say, screw everything. Nobody cares. I'm just going to go back. And this time when I went back, I went back full force. That fall was so hard. It was so crazy because I always had an inclination for meth. That was like the drug that I, and at that point in my life, I ended up, I, and the one thing you always say is like, oh, I, I'd never, I'd never shoot up drugs. You know, you, you could be a drug addict for 20 something years and just be like, oh, that's what makes me better than other people's. I will not do that. I won't go there. Well, I went there. And these things where you say like, oh, I'll never, you know, sell myself for drugs. Like whatever dignity you have, every time you go back to that kind of a lifestyle, you lose more and more. And it was at a point where I was at absolute, like, bottom, bottom, bottom. I didn't even, you know, know how to, you know, put needles in my arms and stuff and just weeping and crying, saying, like, I don't want to do this, but not having the control to do it, to not do it, I mean, you know. It was it was a really, really tough thing. And then looking in the mirror and saying, like, I don't even know who I am anymore. It was like, who is this person? Like, I had no soul left. It was, like, just dark. I'm really glad that that phase in my life lasted about six months. So many things happened within that time. A lot of it, you know, is a blur, but the Lord brought my second husband into my life, who was also, you know, who wanted to get me off the streets. You know, we, we ended up getting married and thinking we were going to save each other and, you know, we're going to, we're going to get clean. Everything is going to be normal. And, you know, you think you're going to do it on your own. And so I went through this, this other period of just being super elated and feeling like I'm going to be whole again. Like, which I never was because you're never whole until you know the Lord and until Christ gives you his life. He, he became like my savior. I really, I put all my faith in him. You know, I was, I was even pregnant when I met him with, you know, and it was, it was difficult because I ended up having an abortion for, you know, to, to be with him. In my mind, I kept thinking like, I'm going to go to hell. I kept going, you know, and it's, it's funny because your conscience still works. Like, even when you don't know God, your conscience still bears witness and, and in, in my knowing, like, oh, I can't, you know, this isn't something I should do. This is, you know, this, I'm going to go to hell for this. In our dysfunction, you know, I ended up going to, to have an abortion at uh, about four months. I was already, you know, pretty far along. Everybody was like, you can't keep the baby. You're a drug addict. There's, you know, there's, it was, it was difficult because I ended up going to, to UCLA, UCLA hospital because they, they had to do it at this facility. And I remember being hysterical. And them going, like, we just got to take her inside and just do this because she's freaking out of her mind. I just remember they knocked me out and I woke up and 
I, I left and I went back and did more drugs because I couldn't deal with that. And I remember screaming and waking up in horror. Like it was like the Lord would not give me. And I know now like God will not give you peace. And I thank God that God didn't give me peace in my sin because it was literally all of the insanity that had caught up with me and my conscience just being to the point where I've seen a lot of people doing homeless ministry and, and being on the streets who don't come back from that, from where I was. That, that state of like, it was like hell on earth. Like I can't even explain. No matter what I did to try to get away from that, I would wake up. I remember what I would wake up screaming and hysterical and my husband just trying to like calm me down because I was having these, these moments. And I don't know if I was out of my mind. I don't know if I was possessed. I really, honest to God, don't know. Fast forward to, you know, and it's, it wasn't the first time that, you know, that's that I'd done that. I'd done that when I was younger, too. And But this time it was like the, the conscience and the knowing of the weight of that guilt was so, so heavy. Like, I can't explain it. My madness and my paranoia and plus my husband at the time and his, you know, his own issues. There was no way that we could stay together, apparently, you know. So he he tried to try to leave. He didn't come home. After one point, he just stopped coming home. And I remember being so devastated. Like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not in my sound mind and everything's wrong. Like, yes, I, you know, I'm, I'm on drugs. We're both on drugs. Like, what's going on? And, but the, the, the damage of missing that person and that person leaving, I think, is what crushed me. It wasn't so much the, the life or anything. It was like the one thing, like having a heavy, broken heart and just being completely abandoned was what really did it. It was like... I didn't have a father. I didn't have anybody. And my husband left. And this time I was like, okay, there's nothing left. I had tried to fake a suicide in order for him to come home. I was sending messages. And I remember telling my, my brother's a police officer in Louisiana. And I thank God that I have Christians in my family. At that point, my cousins had gotten saved. My mom was saved. And I remember, I backtracked to when we got married. I remember months before when we got married, which is actually today, because I was telling you today would have been our, our six-year anniversary. After I got married, I remember my cousin, Joanne, calling me. My cousin had been a Christian for years. And I had these cousins from my aunt who, when they became Christians, all of a sudden just turned into different people. And I thought they were crazy. And I remember her calling me and just crying and saying, you know what? I'm sorry that you know, you went through so much on your own, but Jesus has never left you. He's always been with you. And I remember like listening to her sobbing on the phone and I was like, what is she even talking about? Like, you know, because when you're an unbeliever, you're just like, okay, like, what are you even like talking about? And I remember getting off that phone call and looking at my husband and going, dude, my cousin's like some crazy Jesus freak. It was, it was really interesting because as my life was completely falling apart, and I think everybody could see it, even from Facebook land, like, you know, from a distance, the cry for, I don't know. And I, the Lord just put it in people's hearts. And my brother and I, who's, my brother and I hadn't really spoken in a while. He, you know, my last DUI, he had cut me off and was like, didn't want to talk to me. He finally started to come around. And I remember him talking to me that night when I was faking that suicide attempt and he freaked out and he ended up calling 911 from Louisiana. So they came and they, they came to my house and of course there was, there was drugs and there's all this stuff and they ended up taking me and putting me in West Hills hospital. Mm-hmm. And I remember just, all I wanted was my husband to come home. Like I didn't want any of these. All I wanted was for him to come home. And he showed up and, and showed the doctors my text messages. So they threw me in the mental hospital. Mm-hmm. So here I was, 
trapped in a mental hospital, not really trying to kill myself. Everything was completely a mess. And they wouldn't sedate me. They couldn't do anything. And it was like being in hell and screaming and nobody believing you. And it was the hell on earth that I had where that was the end of my rope. I remember I worked in law, you know, for years at that point. And I remember telling the doctors, like, you guys are holding me against your own will. I'm going to, I'm against my will. This is not true. I'm going to sue you guys. You need to let me out. My, and my daughters were, you know, my older daughter would come visit me. And I just remember seeing like the devastation on my kids' faces. Like what's, what's going on with my mother? Like my mom's a mess. And they'd never seen me like that bad. Well, praise God, you know, I was able to get released after five days. I had a friend, an old friend who had always been a faith, always been a faithful friend. He came and he picked me up and took me to the DMV and said, you need to get an ID and you need to get on a plane and you need to leave. You just need to leave. And I remember going back to my apartment. I was like, no, I'm just going to go back to my apartment. Like, I'm just going to wait for, you know, my husband to come home. And they're like, he is not coming back. They just need to leave. I bought a plane ticket. And with that next day or two days was really difficult because I remember feeling like something was trying to kill me. And if I didn't get to my brother, I was going to die. And it was like this desperate feeling of just needing to go. But I didn't want to go. So it was really, I get into a cab, packed up my stuff, and I'm sobbing all the way to the airport. And the cab driver is like, I don't know what the heck to do with this chick, but you know, like I'm telling you, like it was, it wasn't like a normal, like, oh, you know, I can't even explain that the next few days are just so intense and crazy. Like it's just a blur, but I get on the plane and they have to hold the plane to get me on board because I'm hysterical. They're putting, and I, they put me in my seat and I'm just like freaking out and sobbing that the person next to me, thank God the Lord put somebody who was really kind next to me was like, I can't, you know, I got to get, she was on the phone and she was like, I need to talk to this girl because she's, you know, she's really going through something. And so she just let me vent and I was just sobbing and crying and just couldn't put together, like, why would he leave me? Why would, you know, this happen? What is going on? I just need to get my brother. By the time I got to Louisiana, my brother welcomed me with open arms and that was a huge blessing because he, he let me stay with him for a couple weeks. And I was like a ghost, you know, I was, I was like an empty shell of a person. Like I had brought all my Wicca stuff too, like all my crystals and all my little things. And I remember him telling me we were, we would be just, because he grew up in church. He, you know, my, my, my parents took him to the dream center in LA and they, my brother and sister kind of grew up in that environment around. And so we would be debating about God. And I'm like, no, it's all the same. Like, no, don't worry. These are just crystals. You know, your God, my God. And he would just be like, dude, get this stuff out of my house, you know? And I remember my cousin who had called me when I was, right after I got married, the one that I was like, oh, she's a Jesus freak. (laughs) I felt compelled to call her and to tell her like, I'm okay. I'm here. I'm with CJ. I'm okay. And I remember being on the phone with her and my brother's driving and I didn't even notice that he stopped at a Bible bookstore and bought me a cross. And he bought me like, you know, a candle, like a prayer candle that had scripture on it. And so I'm talking to my cousin on the phone and she's just like, you know what? Are you tired of running from God? Are you tired yet? Like it's, you know, it's amazing that you're even here. And I just remember crying and crying and crying, you know, and she was just trying to share the gospel with me and all of this. So when we got to my brother's house, I, you know, I, I, I was starting to surrender. Like I was really starting to surrender. And I remember him 
saying, showing me, like, he put that little cross on me, and he was like, Liv, I got you this prayer candle. Now I need you to take your stuff and throw it out. And I was like, but he was like, I want you to do it. And it was, I'm telling you, sis, it was broad daylight. Like, there was no explanation for what just happened other than God knows what. So he left the room, and I put those things in a little bag and tied him up. And I remember praying. I was like, you know what? Thank you, Jesus, for giving me another chance. And you know, I'm really sorry. And, and and I don't think that that moment I was like really saved or anything. It, it was, there was something else that happened after that, but I was just like so grateful that they, I was getting closer to family. Like they welcomed me back in after how much of a mess I, and how cruel I'd been to them. Like just, you know, I wasn't a very good sister, daughter, anything. So when I went and threw that away, he was like, good, we'll go throw it. We came back into the room and he was sitting in front of me and he was like, so how do you feel? I said, you know what? I actually feel really good. And then we're talking and all of a sudden my voice starts getting deeper and my ears started getting plugged and this weight like was on me and I was like freaking out because the the sound that was coming out of my mouth, I remembered that when I used to get high and when I would shoot up that same personality or there's something very familiar that reminded me of those, that person or that, I, I don't know, that identity. And I, I got so scared. And I was like, CJ, like, I don't know what's happening. Like, help me. And I remember my brother coming up and we were pray- he was praying with me. And all of a sudden I felt something let go. Because I just remember sitting like, Jesus, please don't, don't. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, I'm scared. Like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get back. And then it was like gone. And so <laughs> imagine like my hysteria at that point. I'm like, I have no idea what is happening in my life. Like, I am a mess. And so... I remember calling another cousin who's the brother of, he was, he was a born again Christian, my cousin Kevin and him just, and I was just so tired and I was on the phone with him. And I was just like confessing everything. Cause you know, he actually works for, for, um, he's a federal officer. And I remember just talking about like where I've been and what I've done and just being like, you know what, I'm, I'm, you know, I was caught in this life and I'm telling him about the, the drugs and the prostitution, all this stuff. And just, I'm like, I just want to go home. And I remember sitting on this, my brother's floor and just weeping saying, I want to go home. I want to go home. And I didn't even know what the heck I was talking about. So my cousin's praying and he's like talking to God for me. He's interceding for me. He's sharing the gospel in his prayer. And he's like, you know, he, you know, I don't belong to the enemy. I belong to the Lord. I mean, it was just like a very powerful moment. And all I remember is this intense relief. And it was like a peace that shifted everything. And I got off the phone. I mean, I didn't get off the phone. And when he stopped, it was like he sat on the phone until the phone died. Maybe for like a couple hours, just reading scripture to me. And I couldn't get enough of it. Like it was something that I just can't explain. So it's really hard for me to share, like I said, without sounding crazy because it was just such a crazy situation. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And from that moment on, it was like I spent the next few weeks wanting the Bible, you know, listening to, to you know, just, I mean, I would look around and had everything looked different. Life was different. It was like, I thought I had lost my mind, but it was like everything was different. I couldn't come back to L.A. right away because it was still too soon. Um, I had to leave my brother, so I ended up going to stay with my other cousin, the one who had prayed for me on the phone. And 
you know, he had a really good like home environment, you know, so we would, he would come home from work and we would do Bible study together. I was able to rest. I got like a few weeks of just being fed and being cared for and being loved on him and his wife. And, and, you know, their family was just really welcoming and loving to me. And that was something that I hadn't had in such a long time, or I don't think ever like really felt like that. The Lord allowed me to have that nurturing. And it was so good because then by the time I had to go back, I didn't want to go back to L.A., but my daughters are here. And in my mind at that time, I was like, well, you know, my ex-husband's here. I want to save him. Like, I know this God now who can save everybody. And I just got so excited. And I had already started getting on Facebook and just telling people, like showing people, like I was telling you earlier, people were like, what the heck is going on? Like, how did she go from this to that? And all I was doing was sharing all this stuff about, you know, about Jesus. And, And it was just like, I'm just constantly sharing the gospel. I came back to LA and the reality of like not being in a welcoming place hit because my daughter's dad, I was crashing the couch there. I had no home to go to. He's, he's an, you know, an unbeliever. All of a sudden I went from being in this nurturing environment to an environment where they were like, you're crazy. Like, you know, and I had no Christian like support group here. I would go visit my friends and, you know, old friends just to be like, to talk about Jesus. And they're just like, okay. Like, (laughs) yeah, exactly. You know? And then my, you know, I saw my ex-husband and he was like, you know, you're not even the same person anymore. And I really wasn't. It was like, it was tangibly different. And I thank God for that though, because I think that if it wasn't so tangibly real for me, it would have been so easy to fall back into the craziness. And it was a lot of madness. And and it wasn't even that it got fixed right away. And I had to, to you know, I had this new hope that was beyond anything I'd ever experienced. I had so much joy. It was overwhelming. And people were just like, dude, tone it down, like tone it down. And <laughs> so then it got really lonely really lonely. And I was like, it's okay, fine. You know, it's just me and Jesus. Like, I don't need anybody, you know, because sometimes when you're, you're newly born again, you're very naive and you think I don't need a church. I don't need other people. I just need me and God, right? God's going to talk to me. It's going to be fine. (laughs) And you know, that, that worked for a little bit. I started to meet people online and I was like, I found out there were so many other believers out there who weren't part of a local church that the Lord had, you know, and a lot of people with testimonies and that was encouraging. So here I thought I was going to start my own ministry, right? Like, I'm like, this is cool. I'm living off of unemployment. I'll be fine for a while. (laughs) (laughs) So I dumped all my money into like printing shirts. So, you know, which was, it was, you know, and I wanted to volunteer, started volunteering at like different places. I, and it was disappointing because I'd like go to churches and I would think that like I went to the Dream Center and tell them my testimony. And I just thought like, OK, they're just going to welcome me in. And all of a sudden it's going to be like and they were just like, you know, that's great. Good for you. But it's like, you know, we, we have this expectation that the church is supposed to just come in and like fix everything, even though you're not really part of the church, which is like now I know that there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians and think that they've gone through something and that everybody's just supposed to jump in and. But the Lord doesn't work that way. Like, it, it really doesn't. And that was, and I think a lot of that mentality came from having a, a, a lot of, um, you know, my family has a lot of, like, charismatic Pentecostal influence. So I would watch these videos of, like, Todd White. Or I would watch, you know, I was even, I remember watching, like, some Joel Osteen at the time. And, you know, so I'm thinking, like, hey, everything's just going to be wonderful now that I'm a Christian. I'm just going to jump into ministry and everything's going to be awesome. And, nope, it was like, I thank God that, when my daughter's father needed to, to move, I thought, like, I'm going to be homeless again. 
I had made some really good connections actually through Facebook, uh, you know, and a lot of women, a lot of people who were praying for me and really, you know, I'm a very personable person. And I thank God that even from a distance, I was able to like talk to people on the phone and have some kind of connection that worked for the moment, you know, as far as making me feel like I wasn't alone. And I, and I'm still very thankful for all those people because then there was another challenge of like, where am I going to live? Like, now am I ready to like, you know, be independent? Like what's going to happen? So I remember going through that struggle again of like having to pay my rent. There were like strangers from like here and there that were like willing to, I mean, I had, you know, there's this great little ministry in South Africa and I, um, they have like an orphan's home, Nehemiah's safe house there, you know, this couple. And I remember like they sent me, like, I remember them wiring me like $40 to like pay my, towards my rent. And I was so touched by that. I'm like, you guys are in South Africa. Like, you know what I mean? but yeah. And it was, you know, it was, so the Lord really put some people in my life to help carry me, you know, and it was just really heartwarming, but it did get to a point where it was like, okay, I have to go back to work. I need a job. I can't just print shirts. I can't just, you know, do all of this and expect, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was doing a lot of street evangelism. <laughs> you know, just the things that you do when you have no guidance, like, honestly, like it was just my heart's desire to just be, I started, I was on the street all the time, just talking to people. Cause I was like, well, I was lost on the streets. I want to talk to people who are lost on the streets. Cause it was like, it was very therapeutic for me to, in my situation and in my loneliness to go out and be like, here, I'm going to go share the gospel with, you know, people at the bus stop or here and there. And then I came across other people who were, you know, I was saying like, I went through the whole street preaching crowd, which is, there's, I learned a lot from that and a lot of do's and don'ts, but it was, it was really good for me to have that passion right off the bat. I wanted to minister to people, but then I realized like, I'm not sufficient enough to do that on my own. I have really nothing. I have no resources. I have, I only have what I have. And, you know, I wanted to like really help people. So that's when I, the desire to like really seek a church, because when you, when you start thinking, like you can think like on a, on a selfish level and be like, I want to be this and I wanted to be that. But when you realize like, oh, there's some real souls and real lives that really need a lot of help. You're like, wait a minute. Like I got nothing, you know, I got nothing but what I know. And that's not even very much. It, it's been quite a journey. I ended up going back to work to take care of myself. I ended up not being homeless because my name was on the lease of the apartment that I never took it off of for like 10 years. So when my ex moved out, all I had to do was find somebody to, to move in. My husband filed for divorce. That was another challenge that I had to go through. My kids and their, you know, their unbelief. But the Lord has just been so gracious to continuously grow me and his patience for me and, you know, and his kindness has, has n- never been something that I've, I've ever, I try not to overlook because, I've, you know, it was, it was like the difference of going from hell to heaven. I am just amazed to, to hear your story because sometimes, and this is something that I've said even uh, on previous um, testimonies that I've heard also of people that come from different backgrounds, right? Yours was like, a very dramatic and a roller coaster in your life. Yeah. But the beauty of the gospel is that when the Lord has chosen his own, like when he, he chose you for salvation, he's going to forgive your sins. Like when he forgive it, forgives our sins, he says that he doesn't remember them anymore. Right? He, he doesn't remember them anymore. Yeah. You are white as snow. And that's what he tells us in his word. That's 
the loving kindness of the, of the Lord. And a lot of people think that some people are far from the reach of the Lord. And nobody is. When uh, you're first, obviously, introduced to the gospel, and you know the kind of lifestyle that you had, mm -hmm. did you ever tell yourself, the Lord can, no, how can, how can God save me? No. There, there was definitely a point where, like, I knew, you know, especially in that last year when I was in that, you know, rut that I was in, where I thought I was hellbound, and that was it. Like, God would not want me. Like, I knew there was, like, a good side, and I knew there was evil or there was the bad side, and I honestly thought that's where I belonged. Yeah. And that was, you know, when I felt that rejection, when everything went downhill after, you know, trying to accomplish everything on my own, it was that, you know, to me that was like, yeah, this is my fate. This is all there is for me, and I'm going to accept that. Because there's something that sin does when it hardens you. It really hardens your heart. People get really tough. You know, and I was always really tough. I was a fighter. I was, you know, I had a really tough demeanor. And it's that, you know, the how sin just hardens you. And, yeah, I was at that point where I had accepted, like, this is my fate. And if I'm going to hell, I'm going to hell. And that's okay. Like, I was that angry. Yeah. But praise God for his, his grace. I mean, that's, you know, that's all there is to it. It's just a reminder for, for all of us that for those of us that know anyone who is not a believer or who might be struggling with drugs right now or who is struggling with, I mean, it's just sin, right? Yeah. You're a slave to sin when you don't know Christ, when you don't follow Christ, when you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're just a slave to sin. But we know that we are a slave to Christ now. Amen. And yes. that is why that, that we can have that joy. But it's because of the gospel. It's because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's why we need Jesus. Amen. I remember just watching the movies of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, and I would cry. But I didn't know why. I didn't know why they were killing that man on the cross until I realized, until the Lord opened my heart and made me see, had he not died on the cross, then I was going straight to hell. All of us. But now we know that we won't because he paid the ultimate price. He died for you. For me, we're not perfect. <laughs> we're not. Oh, Are no. you perfect? Oh, no. God, no, no, no. <laughs> and, it, you know, I, as much as that, and it, but it really grieves me, you know, like my sin. And, and I know the consequences of my sin. And I know what it, you know, what it did to the Lord. I don't ever want there to be a time where I can go to church and not cry singing those hymns. I don't ever want there to be a time where I can stop feeling that knowing the depths of my sin and the, what he did. To pay that price for me. But <laughs> now that the Lord has made you new, giving you a new heart, what are three things that now <laughs> brings you joy? The one thing that I, I, I promised the Lord when I first got saved was I wanted to make use of everything, everything, all the, you know, and ministry and being able to encourage other women and give hope to people who are maybe in this state of praying for people on the streets that I don't know. That gives me a lot of joy. Actually having relationship with my, my children and having a grandson. I have a grandson now. Like, that's just so awesome. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Another blessing. Yeah. So, and, you know, and just being with my church family. Like, I'm super grateful to be a member of Grace. Like, there was a time where I, I was like, oh, no, not that church. Like I was saying, <laughs> but you know what? The Lord, he knew where I needed to be. There's so much growth there for me. And... 
I, I really appreciate having a family. I mean, you go from being completely feeling alone and just having this huge family that God chose for us. That brings me probably more joy than, than anything. Thank you again, Hope, for sharing your testimony. Reminds me what the Lord has done for us, how far we have come. That even if you are in a dark moment in your life, there is hope. Jesus is there for you. Amen. He was there with you even in those dark times. He protected you because he knew what was going to happen in the future. You are going to be his child and just like you are now. So have hope. Seek the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one, the only one who can give us that salvation that we need. Save us from our slavery to sin. So, will you okay. close us in prayer? Sure. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for just this opportunity to, to share the hope that you've given us through your Son, through the perfect sacrifice that washes away our sins, Lord. And because of him, we can be white as snow. We pray, Lord, for those out there who are struggling, who may feel complete despair and hopeless, um, that you would shine your light upon them, Lord. Rescue them from the dominion of darkness and let them know that They can reach out. They don't have to go through it alone. There is hope in Christ alone. Thank you, Lord, for this day. I pray that you would bless my sister here and, and her husband and in their new marriage, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, for just the gifts that you've given her um, to contribute to this. And I pray that it be very fruitful for her and for many others, that they would know you. Make good use of this for your glory. In Jesus' name.